0: Thank you. welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato and this is Round 15, the Bahrain Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton had this race under control with just enough pace in his Mercedes to keep Max Verstappen at a safe distance to take his 11th win of the season. And his wasn't the only headline performance. When so many drivers stuck to pre-race strategy forecasts, Carlos Sainz and Pierre Gasly made major gains with some left-field Strategies and standout drives, but of course the Grand Prix was overshadowed by Romain Grosjean's horror, fiery first-lap smash. The Frenchman is thankfully on the road to recovery with only minor burns, and we have decades of safety development and the instinctive reactions of the medical response and marshals to thank for that. So to run us through a dramatic Bahrain Grand Prix, I'm joined from Sakhir by F1 journalist Abhishek Takle. Abhishek, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Michael. I'm very well. Um, you know, I'm here in Bahrain on the front lines of the COVID sort of <laughs> F1 push. No, but seriously, I'm good. Uh, it's all it's all been very well organized. It's all been very well managed here. Um, so we're being frequently tested. Uh, you know, so it's all it's all going very smoothly. How are things in Melbourne?
0: Oh, look, things are getting better now. They're not so locked down. I will admit to you, though, I uh, do regret that I'm not at so many races this year, especially when this one was at one o'clock in the morning. And you can't imagine. Once, of course, I knew Romain Grosjean was fine. The disappointment hearing there was going to be at least 45 minutes turned out to be something like 75 minutes of delay. Yeah. It was a very late night, the Bahrain Grand Prix. And we've got another late one coming up at the same circuit, different configuration. We'll uh, talk about... You know, the prospects for that race, of course, next week on, on mm. the on the program. But look, let's talk about, for now, the biggest talking point from this race. Before we get to the real strategic stuff, mm. we have to mention this. It would be impossible not to. Romain Grigion's crash on lap one. Uh, it's very unusual to see fire in Formula One these days. I think that really grabbed the attention more than even the sheer force of this crash in excess of 50 Gs. Mm. I mean, what was your reaction? You were on the ground, of course, uh, in the paddock, in the media centre there, um, surrounded by people who obviously experiencing this all firsthand as much as can be in this COVID environment. Mm. Your reactions to this accident, first of all, in particular, the response to it, because I think more than just the fact that Romain Grosjean got out of this car, the response mm. I thought was really impressive and really heartening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the start, obviously, the cameras were all focused on that section of track because, as you know, this was right after the start, coming out of the opening sequence of corners. And so you could actually see the crash happen um, in the live pictures. Um, you saw the fireball. We all saw the fireball it up, uh, whether at home or in the media center or whatever. And, you know, I think I think everybody realized that this is going to be a nasty one. So typically, what tends to happen then is you tend to um, wait for the replays. And the way it works is if you don't get a replay, uh, it's because things aren't looking good. Uh, so, you know, for for some time, um, we were all sort of very tense in the media center. Uh, naturally, you know, you don't want to see anything happen to any of the drivers. You don't want to see them get hurt um, or worse. And uh, so there was a sort of palpable ten- uh, sense of tension in the media center and because we weren't getting any replays for quite some time. And then finally, you know, we heard that Grosjean was out of the car uh, and he was okay. And that's when we also started getting the replay. And that's when we sort of all uh, breathed a sigh of relief. But then sort of that tension quickly gave way to, uh, you know, uh, disbelief at how he had survived this uh, massive accident. Because, you know, I think all of us collectively um whether at home or in the media center and we've discussed this thought my word how could he have survived that
0: absolutely right i think that's been the response not only from you know people who follow the sport but it's really even captured the attention of people who don't it just seems beyond belief the idea that someone could essentially walk away from that crash just about unscathed only burns not even broken ribs as had been feared yeah. according to a, a team statement released the the next morning uh, I thought a really uh, i guess understated part of formula one is the safety aspect to a certain extent and perhaps none more so than the the medical car team we very rarely see them we see the safety car every so often the medical car team of course is the car that lines up behind the grid at the start of every race they do one lap and return to the pits sometimes you do see them for example in Baku when the cars are almost about to lap them as they head back to the pits just because of the speed of that track uh, they were on the scene almost immediately as a result in some senses we should be lucky this was a first lap crash because it meant they were there so fast uh, and the combination of their teamwork as well as the Marshalls marshals yeah. working together to extract Romain Grigion from the car. I thought not only, of course, a testament to, uh, you know, I, I maybe hesitate to use the word heroism, although maybe this is the right situation for once in sport to use that word considering these were very real dangers. Mm. But the precision with which they did it, I mean, this is stuff they practice for, isn't it? And that swung into action almost as if they were doing it every week.
1: Yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, hats off to... Uh- Hats off to uh, Dr. Ian Roberts, the FIA's medical delegate. Hats off to Alan Van Der Merver, who drives the medical car. Um, and obviously the marshals were at the scene of the accident within seconds. I mean, as you say, the medical car sits on the starting grid behind uh, behind your Formula One cars. And as the lights go out, they, this is precisely why they follow them around on that first lap, because the start is uh, sort of... Uh, is a time when you can have lots of incidents because there's so many cars jostling for position close to each other, and it's it's one of the sort of riskier parts of 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 a race. And so that is precisely why they follow um, the field around on the first lap. In a sense, they were lucky. They were lucky that this happened right after the first sequence of corners uh, because they could be there within literally seconds, you know, of the crash happening. So. Yeah. And, and you're right. They do train for a lot of eventualities. They do train for a lot of scenarios, but then again, they can't train for everyone. Um, and in fact, we were speaking to Ian Roberts and uh, Alan Vandermeer after the race uh, in the, in sort of the outside the media center, socially distanced, of course, but mm-hmm. um, you know, what they were saying was, uh, uh, they, they said it was basically all of the check boxes that we've ever, ever prepared for all sort of coming together. So like the perfect storm of scenarios all came together. You had a car in, uh, you know, going through the arm code. You had a high G impact. You had fire. All of it sort of just came together. And uh, yeah, heroism is probably how, is this probably an apt way to describe it? Because, well, the marshals ran to towards a fire to put uh, to put the flames out with their extinguishers. Um, Dr. Ian Roberts ran to the barrier to help Crojean over sort of you know, as Grosjean got out of the car and leaped over the barrier, he was right there, uh, you know, at the barrier to help him get, help get him away from the fire. And, and remember marshals um, and, uh, and, and the medical delegate and, you know, these guys, they, they wear open face helmets. Mm. So, you know, they're not as, they do wear fireproof overalls, but they're not as well protected as the drivers are, for example. So it was, it was extremely brave and it is a testament to how safe Formula One is today that Romain Grosjean could basically walk away from that relatively unscathed.
0: Yeah, and worth remembering as well, in the Marshalls case, Marshalls are volunteers, something that's Absolutely. not always appreciated. Absolutely. If you're just a casual viewer of the sport, they're not there being paid. And the guy who ran towards the fire first was just a passionate enthusiast for Formula yeah. 1 and uh, was there doing his duty. Just as a final note to wrap up on this, just very briefly, um, in terms of the development of safety, we know it's continuous in Formula 1. There was a new overall standard brought in either this year or last, uh, I-, I forget, that essentially earned drivers an extra 20 seconds of time to escape a fire. Um, when you consider that Romain Grosjean was in the fire for a touch under 30 seconds, Mm. it really shows how seemingly incremental developments, much in the same way we talk about incremental developments in terms of the performance of a car, but incremental safety developments over years compound to turn an accident that maybe only a couple of months or a couple of years ago probably would have been far more serious in terms of outcome than it was, turns that into something survivable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... uh... As anybody at the FIA will tell you, uh, the, the quest to improve safety is a never-ending process. I mean, uh, yes, when incidents like this happen or when incidents, big incidents happen, they do sort of do their investigations and they do learn a lot from it. But even in sort of normal course of events where, you know, you have a straightforward standard race, they are still constantly sort of looking at ways to make the sport safer. And and I'm sure they learn from this incident as well, because while this incident showed that all of the work they've done in making the survival cell or where the driver sits so safe. uh, I'm sure it has raised certain questions such as, you know, the car penetrating the barriers uh, such as, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the the fuel sort of igniting, you know, so that, that, uh, so they learn, they learn, you can't, you can never cover every eventuality. You're always learning. And, um, you know, so I think they will learn from this and, and, and um, implement uh, what they find in this investigation to making the sport even more safer.
0: Yeah. And as much as it's nice to describe this as sort of a, a luck or a miracle, and look, to a certain extent, the sequence of events, as you touched on there, that is all luck. But uh, the safety aspect is not luck. It's it's all hard work. And that came together to, yeah. to turn this into a, a positive conclusion. Uh, let's look at the race more generally, where there was no luck required for Lewis Hamilton to win this 11th race. ...of the season. Uh, This race more broadly though, Bahrain Familiar Circuit now been on the calendar for quite a while. Looking at last year's race, comfortable two-stop with Pirelli's hardest tyres. They brought some softer tyres this weekend to try and spice things up this weekend and next at the same circuit on a different configuration. Mm. Whereas last year, everyone was quite easy going with the rubber. It was mostly about wear on that rough surface. The development of the cars, more downforce while using the same compounds as last year, because the teams rejected the new, what should have been the new compounds, meant that this became much more of a tire management race than we're used to. Not tire wear management, but it was all about keeping the tires under temperature control. Thermal degradation was the limiting factor here, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, de- yeah, absolutely. You're spot on with that. Um, look, I mean, after the after that incident, once the race settled down into its rhythm, it was pretty much a straightforward procession. Um, I know Lewis said he was pushing flat out mm-hmm. and everything, but it was all about tire management. And that is why you saw uh, people with, as, as we, we dive into that is why you saw uh, people with sort of different strategies, uh, you know, vaulting up the field and, and really making their races on those strategies. And equally that is why you saw people like Sergio Perez, who um, was always strong in these sorts of tire management situations. Again, come to the fore I mean sadly it didn't work out for him but but he was again in the frame so uh, so yeah it was absolutely a race of management yes it's very true that you know Pirelli yes I mean when you've got when you've got the sort of loads these cars generate year on year it is going to have an impact on the tires especially when the tires aren't developing or keeping in step with the loads that these cars are generating so yeah, very different race this year compared to what we saw last year.
0: Interesting that everyone in Q three qualified in Q two, uh, I should say, to get into Q three on the medium tire. Yeah. The soft was pretty well rejected after practice. They decided it was going to be no good. And it almost featured absolutely not in the race. We'll talk about the really the one driver who had made any good use of it in a moment. That was Carlos Sainz. Mm. Uh this includes Mercedes, of course. They qualified of course, on the front row with the medium tyre, use the medium tyre in the race naturally enough. Really interesting, I thought. I know we're at the end of the season. I mean, Mercedes still wants to, of course, clean up in terms of wins. There was no, at any point, any risk of the idea that they wouldn't be in a good position here. But they didn't use the medium tyre at all in practice too, which is the only representative session in Bahrain because it's a twilight race. FP2 mm. is at twilight. Whereas Friday morning and Saturday morning practice during the day it doesn't really give you... A good read of how things are going to go, and I thought that just says so much about Mercedes, doesn't it? That they didn't feel the requirement to do that work on the tyre that was probably going to be marginal. Turned out to be a good tyre, but you know, couldn't have been certain in the conditions. They have so much information, don't they? They're so good at knowing what that car can do and knowing what their drivers can do that they didn't really need to set up this race for themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, it was going to be. It was going to be. I mean, they've, they're they a top team, they have the resources, they have the simulation software, they've got so much data from the past, they've got so much data running on these tires in this season that they can simulate reasonably well enough how uh, their car is going to go on, you know, on, on a set of tires. Um, and I think that's the advantage of being a top team, having these resources. Firstly, you've got a fast car, so it just automatically opens up lots of strategic options for you, um, you know. Uh, because in you, your car just inherently has a speed, uh, and secondly, you have all of these resources, all this sort of number crunching software that um, that some other teams might not have access to, which means you can simulate to a far greater degree, and and to a f- uh, and with a far greater degree of accuracy how your cars could do behave on its tyres.
0: I just want to digress here briefly as well before we. Finish talking about practice, look forward to the rates. Um, Part of practice, part of the reason why the first two practice sessions were actually quite busy relative to a normal F1 weekend is because Pirelli was bringing the 2021 prototype tyres for next year. The compounds are exactly the same. The structure is different. This is in part response to uh, some of the failures we've seen this year, but also the fact that, as you mentioned, downforce year-on-year increases and the tyres have to respond to that if they're going to be any good roundly criticised by drivers, it's fair to say. Lewis Hamilton really didn't mince any words. He said, if this is what they've got, this is the best they've got after a year we're in trouble, essentially, was what he said. Yeah. Uh, They don't want them to be brought in. The teams seem a little bit more optimistic that they should be brought in. Mm. But I think it underlines again that Perali can't ever really seem to win, can they, in this situation? The control tyre supply, you think, would be kind of a plum gig, but they only ever seem to get criticized
1: yeah yeah i guess that's also because being a control tire there's no sort of tire war so there's no sort of development uh, or competition between two tire companies spurring them to make a faster more durable grippier tire so all pirelli pirelli's reference point isn't another tire competitor it is the target letter that they're given um uh from uh, from, from, from given by the FIA and form and you know uh, the sport basically now the problem with that is form they're basically different different stakeholders all with different interests drivers want a tire that they can push Mm -hmm. on throughout the race uh and uh, that doesn't overheat when you're following too close behind another car so they want a tire that gives them more mechanical grip and one that they can push on throughout the race on the other hand if you're if you're on the entertainment side of things if you're the promoter such as form you want to create an exciting spectacle with lots of pit stops lots of strategies so it's a very sort of hard uh, sort of act for Pirelli to follow because, you know, you can't please everybody. That's, that's, that's sadly the position Pirelli is in. Um, As far as the 2021 tires are concerned. um, Yeah. Roundly criticized Hamilton was probably the most scathing in this criticism, but you know, none of the drivers were too happy about it and and said they should probably stick to this same tire that they've got. But the problem is it's a 2019 tire. Uh, You know, your cars are going to keep developing. So uh, and as you pointed out, it's the construction that's changing because they need to be more robust. It's not the compound. However, I do feel somewhere the driver criticism is a little bit uh, knee-jerk in the sense that uh, they're responding to how the tyres feel on that day, at that time, on their car. Naturally, teams, the cars that they're running right now, as as, as Mario Ozola pointed out, or even as Toto Wolf pointed out, the cars they're running right now are not optimized to make the most of the 2021 tires. They're optimized to make the most of the 2019 tires. So I guess when 2021 comes around and these tires come in, teams will, you know, tweak their cars to um, make the most of those tires. And they'll probably then feel very different to what they feel right now.
0: I think so. And worth pointing out here, as you said, these are cars not set up for those tires. The idea of the greater structural integrity is that well, not the idea of it per se, but one of the effects of it, I should say, is that, for example, pressures might be able to be run more low, which is a, another criticism of the drivers. They're often too high which means that you do win back some of those performance aspects that the drivers really want because when the pressures are lower, it's a more natural way for the tyre to be. So I think that there will ultimately be some positives next year and these things will work themselves out. They normally do in the end anyway, I think. Uh, But let's move on to the race, of course. Let's look at how Lewis Hamilton controlled this one pretty much from start to finish, let all but one lap when he was making his first stop. Worth saying that Max Verstappen was... Just in the distance for most of this race. He was not too Mm. far behind, close enough that he could be a threat, but not quite close enough to ever attempt to pass. Uh, I thought it was interesting after the race, he was a little bit disappointed that his team wasn't more aggressive, particularly at the first stop. Undercut is really powerful here because of thermal degradation. Uh, A new set of tyres will work really, really well. But it was Lewis Hamilton who stopped first. Mercedes saw that window and went for it straight away neutralized Red Bull racing and that really set the tone for this battle.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree, but I do think um, Mercedes had them covered mm-hmm. in terms of pace and strategy. Had Red Bull covered. Like you say Max Verstappen was sort of in there looming in the background, but he was probably a potential threat but he was probably never really a threat. I think mm-hmm. I think it's Merce- I think Mercedes and Hamilton had enough in hand to see off any threat from Verstappen. So um I don't I I I think I think Red Bull are just not quick enough today. And ultimately, that's what it, uh, yesterday, sorry. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. You know, yes, the undercut might have worked or not. I don't know. We'll never find out because at the second stop, they actually tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried undercutting Hamilton, um, I believe at the second pit stop, wasn't it? Yep. And, uh, you know, but we, we won't find out because it was a slow stop. So any benefit they might have uh, derived from, from the undercut at the second stop, um having already missed the window at the first stop, um, you know, never materialized.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly right. I mean, Christian Horner defended not being more aggressive, let's say, or not trying for the undercut the first stop because the window opened just for Hamilton. Had Verstappen stopped, he would have been stuck in traffic and it wouldn't yeah. have worked out anyway. The second stop, though, was interesting because they were around five seconds behind, I think it was, when he pulled that trigger. And his stop was about five seconds, which was three seconds more than uh, the average Red Bull pit stop, which is closer to two. Of course, one of the better pit stopping teams in Mm. the sport. Uh, Hamilton came in next lap, covered it pretty comfortably. The gap at the end of all that was a little more than three seconds. So you'd have to say, while the undercut may not have worked per se, it would have put him in the window. And yeah. while you're absolutely right to say Mercedes was the faster car, I think almost the more Lewis Hamilton says he was trying hard to keep Verstappen at bay after a race, the less that's true almost. Sometimes I think he gets a bit self-conscious about the fact that he seems to win very easily. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that there could have been something potentially interesting there because if we care, compare it to Valtteri Bottas, and this might be the only time we mentioned him in this podcast, he had trouble coming through traffic, didn't he? I know he had two punctures. You know, he he's a bit offset. His strategy was not great as a result of that. But overtaking was not so easy for him. It seemed like Mercedes was running a lot of wing. Mm. And I, again, as you said perfectly, it's a matter of what if because we can never know for sure. But had Verstappen managed to get that undercut, mm. maybe it wouldn't have been quite so easy to get it back. So I wonder whether there's a degree of feeling like there was a bit of a, even a half missed opportunity here for them.
1: Um yeah, that there definitely might have been because uh you're right. I mean the gap it w- you know, at the mo- at most we would have seen them coming out side by side, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as was you know, out of the pit lane. Um but yeah, the, I, I I know the Mercedes isn't great in traffic, but I think with the speed in hand, I think Lewis would have managed to still overhaul Max anyway. It it might have been tougher to do that and it might have sort of meant his tires were in the worst condition by the time he if he had had to battle Max and chase him down, but um, but yeah, I think I I don't know. I think Mercedes had it covered, if you ask me. Yeah. It, it definitely uh, Red Bull could have Red Bull could have done Red Bull could have turned turned up the heat on them by if they'd executed their pit stop perfectly and everything. Um, certainly the second pit stop, but uh, because I think it was only the second pit stop where they actually had a proper undercut window, if you ask me. So. Mm-hmm. I don't think the undercut would have worked at the first stop because, because like you say, um, Verstappen would have come out in traffic, so that would have negated the benefit of the undercut. But yeah, second stop, I think they would have they would have um, given Mercedes uh, a little bit of a sort of a headache, but I don't think anything more.
0: Worth adding there as well that you know if this is if we're talking about this race as being a bit of a time management race, Hamilton is very good at that. You know, there's yeah. perhaps sometimes a little bit underratedly so, but it is one of his strengths. And I'm not saying that it isn't for Verstappen, but. It's by no means uh, a straightforward battle in that regard. It did seem like Red Bull Racing was chewing through its tyres a little mm. bit more eagerly. Maybe that's just because it was following, but uh, I think that definitely would have come into play. If we want to add up further missed opportunities here, you can't help but wonder whether Red Bull Racing might have liked to have gone for a three-stop and been more aggressive. Here mm. they had the tyres to do it, but of course the safety car relatively lengthy at the start of the race to clean up after Lance Stroll's flipped car meant that was very much in that two-stop range there weren't enough racing yeah. laps but the big what if was how the podium battle uh resolved itself and that is would a closer alex Albon have been able to play a role in somehow diffusing some of that tension with hamilton if you like he was off the pace in the race still finished third albeit mm. after sergio perez retired late as you mentioned earlier but while this was i suppose an improved race for him still didn't really play that backup role that Red Bull really needs
1: yeah that's what red bull have been missing um missing in so many races this year because Verstappen has basically been um uh, one red bull against two mercedes typically you know which which obviously then which means Verstappen is mercedes can play around with strategy because they've got two cars uh, to play around with strategy and um and and force red bull into sort of you know into a strategy that might not be ideal, you know. So, um, so yes, definitely not having Alex Albon, and on a day when Bottas mm. was 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 not uh, in the mix, uh, definitely definitely um, reduced Red Bull's options.
0: Yeah, exactly. You've got to use those uh, numerical advantages when you have them, and that hasn't been an option for Red Bull yeah. this season. Let's look further down the field, though, because there was some really interesting action taking place behind the podium. Fourth place, Lando Norris. Just a very assured race from him. Mm. McLaren says they don't think they're the third fastest car. They think they're probably closer to fifth. But in Lando Norris's hands, I mean, it just looked natural there. I guess it was behind Sergio Perez for much of the race. So maybe we need to temper that a little bit. Uh, very controlled. Did a f- fairly conventional run to the flag. But I want to talk about Carlos Sainz, who finished right behind him. The only driver to choose the soft in really race conditions. There were a couple of drivers towards the very end. I think it was Magnussen and Giovinazzi who used it at that last safety car in case the race restarted, which it didn't. So I'm not going to include them. But Carlos Sainz started on the softs. Seemed like a ridiculous idea. But in his hands and on his car, they worked and they worked beautifully well.
1: Yeah, surprising, no? Because the softs were the most unfavored tire of the weekend. I mean, nobody wanted them. And here, science comes along, and you know, science. Science drove a very impressive race. I guess, I mean, what did he have to lose, right? He'd he had that he'd had that issue in qualifying, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and and who knows? Maybe the soft on on that day, on that Sunday, would have been a better tire than it was throughout practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You never know. I mean, sometimes sometimes it just all sort of comes together, and had other people gambled on the soft, maybe they would have found the same, uh, same thing that science did the same speed that science did uh, on those tires. Um, I, I, I think it's just that science was in the position to gamble on the softs and, uh, you know, he made it work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He did come from a place essentially with nothing to lose. And you're right as well. It's something we've talked about on this show a couple of times before, the fact that often after practice, teams and drivers say, oh, the soft or whatever tire is the the one they're talking about at the time is terrible. It's never going to work in the race. But with a little bit of management, they normally squeeze out a stint. And I can't help but wonder whether that was just leaning into that here, whether the soft, as you say, was actually better. But I think a, a, a contributing component because I don't want to take anything away from science here who really did well to manage it is that huge delay we had at the start because of Romain Grosjean mm. and then on top of that the the lengthy delay with the safety car meant that this was not really a twilight race by the time it actually started, was it? The sun had set for quite a while. Conditions had cooled more than they would have for the first stint of a twilight race when the sun has only set in the last hour. Yeah. Uh, Cooler conditions in a desert race does contribute when thermal degradation is the main limiting factor.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because remember, uh, practice was, uh, well, an hour and a half, well, basically of the, uh, you know, what do we have? We have an hour and a half, an hour and a half and an hour of practice. Mm-hmm. So of all, all the three practice sessions, um, two of them were in sort of unrepresentative conditions. So, um, you know, so there is that definitely to be accounted for. However, on the point of, um, the twilight race, it actually never was a twilight race because mm-hmm. it normally would be at the time we start, um, because we race in Bahrain in March and April, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, we're in November, almost December now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the sun sets pretty early here these days. I was, uh, in fact, arriving in Bahrain, I was surprised. I was, you know, I was, I was in sort of on my way to the hotel at like 5.30 in the evening and it seemed to be going dark. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, hang on. It's only 5.30. <laughs> so, you know, so I don't think it was as much of a twilight race as, um, as it, it typically tends to be in the summer. Mm-hmm.
0: It just means they should have started it earlier and I could have gotten to bed earlier at the end of this one. That's all I'm hearing there. But Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you,
1: you should tell the crown prince. You should take it up with the crown prince. Yeah,
0: I might just write him a letter. Uh, behind signs finished gazly. Uh, Another really unique take on strategy. I think you are absolutely right when you said earlier the guys who did try something different Mm. when everyone else was essentially doing the same thing or slight variations on it could win big. He essentially one-stopped this race. Started on the medium tyre but changed during the red flag, which is allowed in the rules. So started from the resumption on a new set of hards. Mm. Stopped on lap 25, so a little bit uh, before half distance for another new set of hards just scraped through to the end, didn't he? That safety car at the very end did help him. But a great result for him shows again how at one with the car he is Mm -hmm. and again shows that if you're willing to to take a bit of a gamble when everyone has a bit of a set mindset, uh, you can win big.
1: Yeah. Gasly has been hugely impressive this year, Uh, not just yesterday, but overall this year. I mean, the maturity with which he's driving and and in a race like this, you have to be able to drive with uh, a degree of maturity when you're making... Effectively, one stop and nursing those tires all the way to the end, you have to, you, you really have to baby them along and while still keeping the pace up. So, what he did was impressive. No doubt the safety car at the end uh, helped. Uh, I again, we won't know if you know how far off the cliff his tires would have fallen if that safety car hadn't been, um, uh, hadn't been deployed if Sergio Perez hadn't, mm. you know, blown his engine, but hugely impressive race from him. And and remember, Gasly, um. Tends to go well in Bahrain. I mean, he was a he he uh, he scored Horda's best result here. Uh, uh, well, mm-hmm. so far at the time when he finished fourth here, I think a couple of years back. Yeah, Ghazi Ghazi goes well in Bahrain, and I think what he did yesterday was again impressive, and shows that you know it it shows that he's he's really come long way as a driver since Red Bull dropped him and. You know, he's just making it work at Dr. Rosso right now. And
0: as a final note to look back on this one, uh, it's worth saying here in relation to Gasly in particular that he was in pursuit, uh, in pursuit was Daniel Ricciardo right up to the very end of the race or right up till the, the safety car at the very end of the race. Uh, it's hard to say whether or not Ricciardo would have got him. He was within eight tenths of a second before the safety car, but there was damage under Ricciardo's car that appeared late in the race. It looked like uh, something hanging off the floor. There were a lot of sparks involved. But you can't help but wonder whether some some prevarication on the part of the Rero, uh, Renault pit wall earlier in the race might have played a part in Ricardo not getting past Gasly because there was a part in the race where he was behind Ocon, his teammate. Clearly the faster of the two drivers has, has often been the case this year. And the team didn't seem willing, despite Ricardo mm-hmm. calling for it as well, without calling for it in that way racing drivers do. They never say the words, but they're asking for a team order. Had they made that call earlier, uh, whether or not that place could have been gained perhaps a lap before the safety car, let's say, because we are talking about less than a second. As I said, eight-tenths of a second given, was the given difference given the condition Gazi's
1: tyres were in and everything. Perhaps Ricardo could have had it, um, had Renault swapped them around earlier in the race, you know, gone for it and passed him. Um, but, I mean, it's it's hindsight is wonderful, isn't it? I mean, at the time, you, yeah, because, I mean, at the time, it makes sense. It makes sense now, but at the time, um, Renault probably balancing it out with, You know, risk and well, not risk, but you know, the reward of actually swapping their drivers around. How much, how much more was it going to get them? Mm -hmm. I mean, there was no risk except probably pissing um, Ocon off. But I mean, not that. I I think they're both team players, Ricardo and Ocon, so I don't think that would have been a big fallout there. Um, And even with Ricardo leaving the team, I don't think that would have been a factor in in it. But um, but yeah, I guess they just decided to uh, keep it pure, let them race, and uh, you know, things. Things might have been different had they acted, but we've seen this before um, with with teams many times. I mean, but they, you know, what if they had swapped their drivers around? Could they have gained another place? Could they have finished further up the order? Mm. We see that a lot, but you know, I guess it's it's a difficult one to difficult call to make at the time. Uh, maybe maybe teams should all just be like, okay, whichever driver is faster. If someone's faster than uh, if the guy behind is faster than than his teammate in front. Maybe the default should be just let him through.
0: Mm-hmm. it's worth saying here this in the middle stint that Ricardo was on the harder tyre so you can imagine yeah. why perhaps with the idea he may be running longer that they yeah. wouldn't have wanted to move him ahead but uh, in the fight for third in the constructors championship which McLaren now leads I wonder whether or not that will end up being decisive certainly not as decisive as Perez's failure to finish this race Racing Point's failure to score points in this race that was the big part for that battle. Uh, Of course, Lewis Hamilton won this race. He had it all under control by the end. But of course, we remember it for Romain Grosjean's crash and a good thing that he's doing well and on the road to recovery. An interesting race. Two more to go. Abhishek, it was a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Pleasure to be back. Uh, The world might have changed, but the strategy report keeps going.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was F1 journalist Abhishek Takler. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcasting app, plus we're on all of your social media channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. My name's Michael Amanato, and I'll catch you next week for a review of the Sakhir Grand Prix at the Bahrain Outer Loop.